2012 on Understanding the New Evangelization with Kathy Kennedy. Kathy Kennedy is the director of Credo, the Archdiocesan Office for Evangelization and Renewal. She has been involved in evangelization and ministry at the parish, school, and missionary level for over 25 years. This talk was recorded in a collaboration between Cradio.org.au and XT3.com. Understanding the new evangelization. Why don't we start with a prayer? Because I know I'd like to. <laughs> I need it. Uh, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Holy Spirit was, in this vastly changed world beyond the ash heaps, is it possible to speak to God or of God? Or does it simply make no sense? There are a lot of people who thought it made no sense. Nothing was the same after those wars. And for the Catholic Church to put up a sign saying, business as usual, nothing much has happened, would have been the height of escapism and irresponsibility. One of the problems that came with that, however, was the tendency, I say this particularly of my own generation, who were young in the years immediately after the Council, to think that anything that happened before the Council was, be, was to be dismissed. And that the only things that really mattered was what happened after the Council. So that is an important little uh, thing there to remember. So, the Second Vatican Council, what, what Archbishop Mark College is saying, was a response to what had happened with the two world wars. Something had clearly gone wrong. These two great Christian nations, in particular, obviously, we would perhaps look at Germany to start off with. What happened that allowed that kind of horror to come from a Christian nation? What went wrong? Now, what's interesting is that every other Vatican council, any other kind of council that had been called by Rome, and there were 20 before Vatican II, had all been called because of a problem, a doctrinal problem. There was a problem with something that the church was grappling with or that a heresy had come up. That had not happened in the case of Vatican II. But perhaps there was another kind of crisis that really had, had become apparent from, from the wars, perhaps there was a spiritual crisis of some kind. And Pope John XXIII, when he called for Vatican II, was clearly seeing here is a crisis, perhaps not doctrinal, but something that we need to respond to. So I love those thoughts of Archbishop Mark Colleges. I think they're very important for us to understand the history of, you know, right back to those foundations there. Okay. So... A lot had happened in the 1950s too, you know, we had in that time, believe it or not, I know we're living in an age of a great change in technological development, but a lot happened in the 50s. Because of World War II, actually, a lot of technology was developed in World War II for the sake of war, and that continued to be developed, and there was amazing leaps in technology and science and things like that, and what happened is that a lot of people started to put their trust much more in science and in material things. It was a great time of material... Uh, consumerism really took off and you know you see a lot of those 50s advertisements it's where it kind of all really started and where we started to market vans and a lot of things happened in the 50s if you think back to that time um, and yet at the same time there was 
millions of people living in devastating poverty and militant atheism was abounding, you know, in a lot of communist countries and things like that. There was a lot of stuff going down. Uh, so the council's called and I guess the question really that Vatican II was perhaps asking was how do we make our faith deeper, more genuine, more lively, so this sort of thing doesn't happen again. So whatever this crisis is, we can begin to understand and meet it. Okay? So, I want to talk a little bit about Vatican II. I mean, you could talk for days on Vatican II, and I'm not the person, I'm not the scholar to be able to talk about all of that to you. But I just want to make some points that will help us to understand um, how Vatican II really laid the foundations for the new evangelization. Everything that we're doing now comes from there. Okay. So some of the really important things that happened during Vatican II in terms of what we're talking about is that the laity was affirmed, really affirmed in our role in the church. Um, so in Lumen Gentium, the biblical teaching that the church as a whole was the people of God was affirmed. When for a while there, uh, in Archbishop Coluge's words, um, centuries had virtually, virtually explicitly asserted that that wasn't the case, that religious and priests really only made up the church. It wasn't actually the case, but in terms of practice, it got close to that being the teaching, if you know what I mean. So the Vatican Council, Vatican II, really emphasised the importance of the laity within the church um, and went on to say that it's not just religious who are called to a life of holiness, that in fact that call is universal. That's for everyone. And that was a revolutionary idea, that everyone was called to be holy wherever they were in all of their circumstances. In a way, we almost take that for granted if you're moving in church circles now, but that was not the case. Um, but I mean, it wasn't the case, but that it had kind of been forgotten, I think is probably the better way to, you know, hadn't been emphasised. Okay, then um, the other thing that happened was that there was a document called Gaudium et Spes, where the lay, pe lay people were particularly urged to take up their mission in the world, in all walks of life, in all Christian vocations, um, and to see that as a lay apostolate, their lay mission, um, and which, which shared directly in the work of the Apostles of Christ. Okay? So all of a sudden I start to see that what the ordinary things that lay people are doing are actually can be sharing in the mission of the, of the Apostles. Um, and then just want to bring out one other thing which is very important in terms of where the emphasis of the new evangelization is now. It's actually a one paragraph in one of the documents that Pope John Paul II as a young bishop helped to write. And it's all about, uh, his th thought is that in this paragraph in Gaudium et Spes, paragraph 22 if you ever want to look it up, 22 in Gaudium et Spes, which I think I've got. Oh, I'm on the wrong page. There you are. You can see it there. Gaudium et Spes. In that, he says, in an, I'm just paraphrasing, Christ doesn't just reveal God to man. That was his job, was to come and to reveal God to man. 
but he also reveals man to man. So in other words, we most ultimately understand who we are as individuals and also as a people in Christ. So this is like the beginning of Pope John Paul II's understanding of the importance of dignity of each individual and his whole new humanism that he was starting to, to bring in, that would, well, which he would bring out when he became Pope. Okay, so there's that little understanding of the importance of Christ coming to each individual as well as a culture and that each person has that special dignity with Christ. All right, so there's some basics. So after Vatican Council, the Vatican II ended, the Pope, the Pope who came, came on board to have to kind of, I guess, bring Vatican II, start to bring it all out into the practice of the church was Pope Paul VI. He was an amazing Pope. Um, one of the great things he did was wrote one of my favourite documents, which is Evangeline Untiandi. It's like the textbook for evangelization. It's like if you want to know what, what evangelization is and should be as a Catholic, go no further. Evangeline Untiandi, in a nutshell, is it. It's, it's totally awesome. You've got to read this. Okay. So, they had a synod on evangelization in 1974. Okay. And because they'd, they'd been thinking about it and they'd had all of these um, discussions and reflections uh, and had come up with so much that they didn't know how to really put it into a statement, so they gave it all to Pope Paul VI and said, look, here, you look at it, you deal with it, and you come up with something. And he did. <coughs> and he did a brilliant job. And so this is what we've got, Evangeline Untiandi. Okay, so he's like... And what was clearly happening at that synod was that they were still teasing out what they'd sort of come to in Vatican II. It's all sort of there. And I just want to talk about a couple of things that were said, that were stated in Vatican Untiandi that are very, very important. Number one, which ripped the socks off many people and still does when they see this statement, the church exists in order to evangelise. So many people still go like, what? No, really? <laughs> I thought it was just a service centre where I went and got the kids done. <laughs> you know, baptised. First communion, then we'll come back for when they get married. <laughs> you know, there's so many different understandings of what the church exists for, but the church exists in order to evangelise. It's pretty clear that's what the commission was that Jesus, that Jesus sent us out to do from the moment when he ascended to his father. He said, go out. And preach the gospel. So, Pope Paul VI reminded us of that. Then he talked about the ultimate purpose of evangelization, and this is really important. It wasn't just bums on seats. It wasn't just more people to put money in the in the collections. It wasn't just more people going through the motions. It was conversion. That was the purpose. And he also gave us a really holistic understanding of evangelization. So what he was that is he showed us that evangelization could re is really so many things. It's not just actually often, and that was what was really important is because often when we hear the word evangelization, a lot of us we freak out, you know, because when we think of evangelization, we think of only a couple of things. Often something like, um, you know, having to stand on a soapbox and preach or Bible bashing or something like that. But that's a distortion. 
And that's what happens when you only focus on one part of evangelization. And that's when we all go, whoa! Actually, when Pope Paul VI talks about it, and I'm not going to spend the time on it now, but he still says, you know what, it's a much bigger picture than that. And if you only look at one part of it, it's going to be distorted. And then you're going to be freaked out, or you're going to do bad practice. And, you know, we've all probably had experiences of that bad practice um, from people approaching us or telling us things or whatever. Um, and, and that it just ain't the box and dice. So have a look at... Pope Paul VI's whole section on what evangelization is because it's a very holistic understanding. Okay. And the other thing that he did, which was really prophetic, was he acknowledged the new social circumstances. He started to say, you know what, we are in a very different playing field, even from 1960 through to 1975, a lot had happened. And so I just want to read you a couple of things that he wrote. And just tell me if you think that this could have been written today, not just in 1975. Hand in hand with this atheistic secularism, we are daily faced under the most diverse forms with a consumer society. The pursuit of pleasure <coughs> set up as the supreme <coughs> value, a desire for power and domination, and discrimination of every kind. The inhuman tendencies of this humanism. Someone could have written that today, couldn't they? So amazing. Um, and he also acknowledged, for the first time ever, I think, the mass media and other means of social communication and that we must use these for the gospel. 1975, he mentioned that. Uh, but he also said, but that's not to take away from the one-to-one. -one. Mustn't take away from that because at the end of the day, it's really the one-to-one. Well, if you're going to have a relationship with Christ, it usually starts by having a relationship with someone else first. Because <laughs> every now and then, there's the whole, you know, fall off the horse Damascus thing that happens like St Paul. It's just God and the person. But usually, most of the time, it starts by meeting someone who clearly is in Christ themselves first. So that one-to-one -one is very important. Most people won't even experience Christ until they're first invited to something by someone. So, you know, it's very important to remember that. But all of that, 1975, he was talking about mass media, talking about social means of communication way back then, even before, you know, we knew where we were going to go. Okay, so after Paul VI, for 33 days was our beautiful John Paul I, who then unfortunately passed away. So here comes along next, John Paul II, also a clear son of Vatican II. And so, again... The begin, beginning, we are still in the beginnings of really starting to bring out the riches of Vatican II. You know, it'll probably be a few hundred years before all the riches come out. You know, that's the way it is with, with councils and things like that when so much happens. So we're really in the beginning stages. Pope John Paul II, therefore, and Pope Paul VI were very, very important in what they, you know. And it's interesting that both of the, those popes, John Paul I and then John Paul II, named themselves for those two popes before. John XXIII, who was the pope who called for Vatican II, and Paul VI, who was the pope who then had to start to bring it to fruition. So they clearly saw themselves as their mission was continuing to do that. Okay, so, John Paul II, oh my goodness, well there's so many things that John Paul II did, we know, and that he started to help us 
to understand. You know, I, I, I'm not a theologian, so I can't go into a lot. But you know, we've got there is so much uh, richness left behind theology, the body, all those sort of things. But one of the great things as well is the new evangelization that he began to speak about. Okay, now he first spoke about this new evangelization in 1983 when he was addressing the bishops of Latin America. And actually, it was on the celebration of um, the kind of the first. It was of of um, the anniversary, a significant, uh, the hundredth or the two, something, two hundredth anniversary of um, of the creating of one of their nations, Haiti, I think. And he was saying, he was saying, well, you know, that was like the first evangelization because the Christians came and there was conversion. But now something else is going on. And he said, we need to look to the future with commitment to a new evangelization, one that is new in its ardor, new in its methods, and new in its means of expression. Okay? Now, I think that those three words, ardor, methods, and expression, can help us to tease out a lot of what the new evangelization is about. And we're going to move on to looking at that in a little while. But just to let you know, this is how much John Paul II was a bishop of Vatican II. He referred to Lumen Gentium, which is one of the Vatican II documents, 170 times in his letters. And he referred to Gaudium et Spes, another one of the Vatican II documents, 130 times in his letters. So he was a man who was completely immersed in this Vatican II. So I would actually highly encourage you to, as one of the best things I ever did, was to read the Vatican II documents. They are amazing. It might, you might think, oh, it's really heavy and stuff, but actually you'd be amazed at how much there is in it and how much will speak to you, how rich it can be. So <clears throat> he started to develop this idea of the new evangelization. And what's always interesting is that when this often happens, that as the Pope or Rome is starting to give us the words and tell us what we should be doing, the Holy Spirit is making it happen in the church at the same time and it's popping up all over the place. That's when you know the Holy Spirit's still with us and still working because it's coming from Rome but it's also there and it's there and it's there and it's there and it's like it all happened at once. Bang! You know, and that means that someone else planted the seed. <laughs> it wasn't us, you know. Um, so uh, then finally in 1990, so that's like seven years later after the first time he mentions it, out comes one of Pope John Paul II's letters, Redemptoris Missio, which is really uh, picking up where Evangelii Nuntiandi took left off and really calling for the new evangelization. And he said... These are the words from Redemptorist Missio. I sense that the moment has come to commit all of the church's energies to a new evangelization. Not some, not just a few people, all of the church's energies to a new evangelization. But why new? Why a new evangelization? Okay. Why new? Well, the reason that we call it the new evangelization is it's the term that is used to distinguish between the first or primary evangelization and the evangelization of countries who are nominally Christian but who have lost a sense of the faith. So in other words, countries that have gone past being Christian and gone down the other side, which is sort of, that's exactly where we are, okay? Post-Christian, we call it. Post-Christian. The new evangelization implies that countries and societies that were once evangelized and have lost the vigor of faith need to receive the message in a fresh and vital way in order to win them back to Christ. Okay? So that's 
why it needs to be new. Now, something that's interesting is sometimes we think, oh, it's just nice to sometimes hear the words that help us to understand the cultural setting that we're actually living with. So I really love this next, um, these next words, because sometimes when we hear it described, it's almost like, you know when you say, oh, gee, I feel sick? A bit achy here, a bit this, a bit of a sore throat. But we don't know exactly what's wrong with us. We go to the doctor and say, yeah, you know what you've got? You've got the beginnings of this virus that's been going around, or you've got the flu, or you know, we're going to take a blood... Uh, blood um, test because I think you might have glandular fever, whatever it is. Eventually when you get a diagnosis, it's a bit of a relief, like, oh, okay, that's what it is. So that's why I like this next quote because it kind of gives us a bit of a diagnosis of a bit of what's going on. And this is Cardinal Rilko um, speaking to um, the Council for the Laity. He's the President of the Council for the Laity. speaking to um, a Congress of Ecclesial Movements and New Communities in 2006. And I just think this is a good one. The expanding process of secularisation and an authentic dictatorship of relativism. So in other words, relativism by its usually means, you know, like, well, whatever goes, as long as your truth is good and does, you know, then that's fine, you know. My truth is fine and if I think it's, that's what I want to do, I can do it. There's no right and wrong, it's just up to what I think. It's become a dictatorship now. To the point where you can't actually say that there's no objective, that there is any objective truth. There's anything that's objective. So it's like a dictatorship. It's weird that something like this happened, isn't it? Like anything goes is okay, but don't you dare try and tell me that there is actually something that that can't go, that there is actually some kind of basic truth. So it's a dictatorship of relativism, and this has produced a tremendous absence of values in many of our contemporaries which is accompanied by an alarming erosion of faith, a type of silent apostasy and a strange forgetfulness of God. This situation so sadly prevalent in countries of ancient Christian tradition is contrasted with a type of religious boom characterised by an ambivalence and ambiguity. So what that means, the religious boom is like all these other little things, you know, like crystals, Reiki, yoga, all the other little bits, you know, you know they'll, they'll stick a... The, a, a, a crystal in their house and say that that's, you know, given them some kind of spiritual connection and, you know, all this sort of stuff, right, you know, that's going on and people are really accepting of that and they'll sort of pick and choose, like it's sort of a consumerism shopping thing but, but and, yet, and yet they're totally forgetful of God. So there is a religious boom. They're still looking for something spiritual, just not with God. So I think it's nice sometimes to sort of get that diagnosis, I guess. Oh. Okay, I've got some clever things going on now. And sometimes when clever things go on, that kind of... Now again, here's good old Pope Paul VI from Evangeline Ontiandi. And so we have to have a new response for this new cultural situation. Way back in 1975, Pope Paul VI said this, so he anticipated this. The obvious importance of the content of evangelization must not overshadow the importance of the ways and means. This question of how to evangelise is permanently relevant because the methods of evangelising vary according to the different circumstances of time, place and culture and because they thereby present a certain challenge to our capacity for discovery and adaptation. I love that because I'm a really creative person and I love the idea that we can try to, um, to bring our creativity to bear with the help of the Holy Spirit to find new ways to engage with our culture of today. Okay. But that was in 1975. He was already laying down the foundation. You know what? You're probably going to have to think about coming up with new ways. Okay. 
So now let's get down to sort of describing a little bit of what the new evangelization looks like. And this is because it's been going on for a while. I don't know if you remember Father Richard speaking on Monday for our homily. He talked a bit about the new evangelization. One thing he said is it's organic. It's very true. It's very organic. You can't... So when I was trying to say we're understanding it, you can't really understand it by saying it's this, or look there, that's it, or anything like that. It's more, you can talk about what characterises it and how, it's, how we can describe it. So one of the things that always seems to be a characteristic, and how could it be otherwise, is it's Christocentric, which means it's centred on Christ, okay? Very much centred on Christ. We're not talking about um, some of the peripheries, you know, about the teachings or anything else. That comes later. But it's centred on Christ. It's distinctively Catholic. Which means that, unlike some other forms of evangelization you may have seen, it really brings and uses the sacramental dimension of the Christian life. It engages, and it engages and uses our rich tradition of prayer and spirituality. So, for example, here we are, a whole bunch of people at scene, all different ages and stages, we're praying together morning and evening prayer. We're having a Eucharistic adoration. Tonight we're going out in the streets with icons in procession. They are very Catholic things to do. But we're doing them in ways that we're bringing that and making it more accessible and to new ways. That's part of what the new evangelization is. So we're being uniquely Catholic, but we're bringing it out in a new way. And we're bringing all of that richness that we've had for so many years that we've almost forgotten that we had and we're rediscovering. And then we're, we're saying, hey, come on, how can we share this with others? How can we show this? Um, I actually had a great conversation just inside with Stephen Kirk a little while ago. So saying, you know, new evangelization, and we're talking about his music in terms of new evangelization, because I love Stephen Kirk's hymns in Mass. I think they're awesome. And the reason I think they're so awesome is because they're contemporary, but they're really very Catholic. They're talking about Catholic concepts and ideas. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that Hillsong and, and places like that don't have something to offer. They, they, they can and they do. They're very Christ-centred, a lot of their music. But what Stephen Kirk has is something that's very Catholic. You know, we adore you, Lord. Flesh and blood of Jesus. Broken, pierced for us. Things like that. The things he's saying. Very beautiful contemporary sound. Reverent, though, still. But with these awesome Catholic... Um, Catholic lyrics, and um, uh, also like like one of the, I think he sang just quickly before mass today a really ancient prayer that he's put to a new tune. That's like a, it was a, just a prayer and he's now put that to a beautiful tune. Hail true body, stunning, stunning, and you just go wow. Listen to those words, and part <coughs> of the reason that we can listen to them again now is because we've got this contemporary music. So that's exactly what we're talking about here, about being distinctively Catholic. We're not hiding it away. We're saying, hey, it is great to be Catholic. We are so lucky we have all this great stuff to offer. You know what? Let's get it out there. Okay? So very, very Catholic. And also by being Catholic, it means that we are not pushy. We propose, we don't impose. That's something that's very Catholic and should be distinctively about our evangelization. A lot of what Father Dave talked about in his workshop on Wednesday, were well, many of you at that, you know, that just it really gives you that feel. 
Okay. It engages with people within the context of their own lives. So often it's actually not just happening in the church, it's happening out there and it's happening in, within the context of people's lives. Okay? And that's probably part of the fruit of the fact that it's often the responsibility, number three, verse 24, of the laity. In fact, they're very clearly the new evangelization, the responsibility of all Catholics. It's not just religious. They have a very strong role to play. We can see that here with our beautiful MGLs. We've got three of them in the room. Um, but it's also the responsibility of lay Catholics. And part of the reason it can be out there in the context of people's own lives is because we're out there in that context, aren't we? That's our world. That's where we are. Okay? And it calls... This is my reflection, okay, guys? This is what I think is part of, this, part of the new evangelization. It calls for very personal witness. And this is something, this is something that um, Pope Paul VI talked about. He said, you know, modern man listens more willingly to, um, to witnesses than they do to teachers. And if they do listen to a teacher, it's because they're also a witness. So what people want to know now is, are you rigid ditch? Are you, you know, are you true blue about this? Is this genuine? So if you're living it and they can see it and you're talking about your own experiences, then bing, there's more chance that something's going to go on. Just why now we so often hear people's testimony. We talk about that all the time now, don't we? Someone's going to give their testimony. Let's share our testimony. You know, you can give a testimony in one minute, two minutes, 30 seconds, boom, boom. You know, we talked about it in the... It's so important to be able to speak about our personal faith. There was a time in the church, perhaps, when we didn't do that, when it was kind of, well, that's just your personal thing. But I think the new evangelization really calls for a personal witness. So we have to get used to and be able to speak about our faith. We need to share our faith with each other so we're comfortable with it, and then we're able to then share it with those around us who don't know about Christ. And it's not limited to individuals but to whole cultures. So there are ways that the new evangelization doesn't just engage with individuals but also with the whole culture. We may, and we sort of saw a little bit of that in the Artists for Life Night on Wednesday night if you were there, you know, with the way that music and um, arts and everything else can engage with the whole culture. Or, and again, on Tuesday night when we had the talk in Parliament House about the implications of marriage engaging then with, with policy making, with the law and that sort of thing. There is a place for that within the new evangelization very clearly. Okay, so there's some of the characteristics of the new evangelization. Now I want to talk to you about some of the methods, some of the things that have gone down that, um, that we, like there's just so many things, okay, but just quickly, some of the big things. There's programs that are out there that are doing amazing work. Alpha, you heard of Alpha? Alpha's just gone off. Alpha was started actually by an Anglican guy called Nicky Gumbel in the UK. Uh, and it's a way of, if people want to know a little bit about what Christianity is all about, in, they can be invited to these nights where they start with a dinner and then they have someone speak and they just talk about the basics of Christianity, the basics that all of us share in common about Christ and who he is, all the stuff, all of the churches. Uh, and then there's a bit of time of Q&A and sharing and then everyone goes home. And that goes for, I think, about eight weeks, I think it goes. And I think at the end somewhere, maybe it's 12, there's a, um, they have a little weekend away. But by that time, they've built this relationship because they're eating meals together. You know, lots of stuff. And then all of these people, most of the time at the end, come to 
commit themselves to Christ because they've been opened up to what it means to follow him. They've learnt who he is and they've learnt about it and at the same time they've got to know people who are already doing that through sitting down and sharing a meal with them as they've developed relationships. Really simple program. There are lots of things like that out there. There are a lot of Catholic parishes have taken on Alpha. We had a workshop the other day where the lady who's in charge of Alpha in the Catholic context here in Australia spoke about it. There's many parishes, even just here in Sydney, who have had great success with it. Um, along the same lines, there's a thing called Cafe that comes from England. They actually do prepared DVDs that you can put on your parish, just have a supper, advertise, get your people to invite people. You'd be amazed how many people are just waiting for an invitation. They come along, <coughs> press play. And after it's finished, you, <laughs> then you go and, and you'll have a little bit of discussion around the tables over some supper. Very simple idea, works, it's brilliant. Um, there are other programs like Cells of Evangelization, which work in parishes, uh, which is about having small groups in people's homes where they pray together and they evangelize by sharing with others, always looking to expand the cell to the point that it can split and become two new cells and then expand again. It's all based on being uh, in uh, communion with their parish priest and in looking out and serving others in the parish. Amazing what the cells of evangelization do. These are little movements from all around the world. Mission teams, the youth mission team, net, diocesan mission teams, all sorts of things. ICPE, they're of all different ages and stages, choosing to give up some time of their life to join a team full time to evangelize, to get into schools, to be wherever, whatever they do, go to parishes uh, and, and to help bring retreats, share their faith with people around them. And they've just, in the last 25 years, pop, 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 all over the world, everywhere. There's even a team in the US now, which is a theology of the body team. They give up a year of their life and they go around, these young people, theology of the body retreats. How cool is that? So, you know, bang, yeah, amazing, very cool. Um, schools of evangelization. Um, there's a lot of them around that are usually eight months to 12 months long. In particular, there's the St. Patrick's Evangelization School in London, in Soho, like the, just like the King's Cross of London, and they have an evangelization school there for, for eight months. You can go and do it. There's another Emmanuel School of Mission in Rome run by the Emmanuel Community Paris. You'll see that those guys tonight, they're doing one of the, one of the um, icon processions, and they've got this amazing school in Rome too. Very good. It just gives, you know, an education, evangelization in the, in the basics of your faith, and so you understand a bit more, you can really go out there and share it. But it's not just about learning, it's also about getting out there. So during that year, you'll be out there, you'll be doing things, and it's a whole year to learn about evangelization. Awesome stuff. This is happening all over the place. Some places even have evangelization organizations. For example, there's a committee in the US and in our archdiocese here, we're lucky enough to have an agency of evangelization. That will never have happened once upon a time. So those sorts of little organizations are popping up all over the place, all over the place too. Um, okay, another big thing that happens, street evangelization. Hand up if, hands up if you've done it over the last couple of days. <laughs> hey, well done, okay. So these are pictures from last, from other years of scene, where you can see people engaging with others. Street evangelization. There are many, many possibilities of things you can do. Father Dave Callahan probably did a greater job than me than talking about it, but it is something that we're starting to engage in more. And as Bishop Julian often says, 
Street evangelization isn't always necessarily about the quick convert right there, but it's about people seeing us out, happy, joyful, standing up for our faith, young people, people excited, you know, all that kind of thing that's going down and thinking, wow, maybe the church isn't as dead as I thought it was. Maybe it isn't as irrelevant as I thought it was. So it's like, it's the slow, it's the slow road possibly in many cases, but it's, it's something we need to do. We've got to be out there so that they can see us. Because if we wait in the church, I think Father Dave said this, if we wait in the church, we could be waiting a long time. <laughs> okay. Um, so there are all sorts of things you can do. Sometimes uh, you, know, you can have handouts. We were lucky enough last scene to have a whole bunch of chocolates to hand out. Um, yeah, I know. I wish we had them this time. Um, and we've done things like when we've been at shopping centres where we've done it, we've had like a big sign saying, can we pray for you? And we've had a prayer box and people can write their petitions. We've got some amazing petitions from that. And then we take them to mass during missions and things like that. Um, we've had people do juggling, you know, box down there with the street art. You can do dramas. You can do all sorts of things outside. Really, the, 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 the possibilities are endless, as long as it's within council regulations, you know. Um, but the important thing about doing street evangelization is it's got to be accompanied by humi humility, simplicity, and respect for passers-by. All the things that you, you know, because you're at Father Dave's thing, so I'm really preaching to the converted. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Oh, is that the... What have we got now? All right. Another thing... Is parish and city missions. In a sense, that's what scene is. Scene is not just about you guys learning about evangelization, going to great workshops, having great plenary sessions. The other and as important purpose of um, yeah, yeah, can you see it, Daisyville? Um, <laughs> the other important purpose is um, being a witness in the city. You know, being around in the city again and, and then seeing, particularly because World Youth Day was here and there was all that colour and excitement and stuff. So we come down here, we do the Vocations Expo, we're all walking around with our crazy scarves and our red bags and, you know, and it's like, whoa, hey, you know. So there's that whole sense of, you know, why we have to keep doing these sorts of missions. Credo runs parish missions that run for five to nine days, depending, um, and they can involve... What you'd ordinarily used to expect from a parish mission, which is that someone would come in and preach and then there'd be opportunities for confession, the sacraments, uh, there'd be a real call back to faith. But, you know, it ain't enough. It's great. It's really good. It'll help the people that are already in the church. Um, and that's, that's good because we do need to even wake up people in, in our churches. But um, we go further than that. We do house-to-house -house visitations. We offer house blessings. We'll often have processions. Uh, we go into shopping centres when we can, if we can get permission. Uh, and if we do, when we do our Advent Parish missions, we'll often sing carols in the, in the shopping centres and we'll hand out candy canes with Christmas scripture quotations on them and say Merry Christmas. And we even have a big Christmas scene, a felt Christmas scene. We invite the children to come over and they can build the scene. So they've got all the characters and they get to build the scene because a lot of them don't really know what the story is. And as they've got a lucky bag, like a lucky... You know, things so they, they pull their hand in, they pull out a character. So say they pull out Mary and they say, oh, wow, that's Mary you've pulled out now. She was asked by God through an angel if she would be the mother of Jesus. And she said, yes, let's put her up on the picture. You know, so as they come out, we tell the story. So by the end of it, it's like, oh, now I know the Christmas story, you know. And they've had fun building the colourful scene. So just little things like that. <clears throat> Healing masses, mercy nights, you'll see that tonight. All kinds of youth outreach like Grace Fest. We do talks in pubs, you've seen that too. Forums, debates, 
school visits, anything you can imagine. Whatever we can do to help, that's what we do with our parish and city missions. That's a very big feature that's happening in many places. You cannot discount the importance of music in the new evangelisation. It's extraordinarily important. I've, you can see these are all um, also from past scenes, different events. Some of the really exciting things that are happening around the world, there's a group called Rexban, which are formed by Jesus Youth in Kerala, India. There's about 25 of them, and they make an awesome sound. And they travel in like sort of a missionary capacity, and they just minister through music and bring people to Christ through music. Catholic Underground, with the Franciscan Fathers of the Renewal in New York, they have a, compl they have a real charism of using music to bring young people to Christ uh, and what they're doing is amazing and there, there are so many other examples. We have our own <coughs> Stephen Kirk with us here who like I was saying is clearly being a very strong worker in the new evangelization. So God is raising people up everywhere. Okay. It's very powerful. Another thing that's very powerful within new evangelization is using drama. There's a Catholic community in Brazil called Shalom. They're huge and they're doing all sorts of things, ways of engaging with new media. They've got radio stations, television stations, you name it, but they also have very strong theatre and dance um, component to what they do. And they actually have, um, I think they have some schools of theatre and dance. And they really like to use this um, in, their, in ways of bringing, bringing Christ into the arts and to evangelise. Um, the youth mission team has a real gift in this area of drama. Um, and the youth mission team will be giving a workshop tomorrow and they'll actually be showing a drama in that, I think. Also, they are doing a drama during Grace Fest tomorrow night. So if you want to see the power of these dramas in action, uh, you might like to make sure that you're there to see those because then you'll see how they can really touch people. Okay. But, then, you know, there's so much more. The visual arts, here we go. We've got our workshop just in here at the moment with quite a few different visual artists. We had a go at that on Wednesday night with our artists all around the room and walking around, taking a look at all those different things. All the different ways that we can engage. You've probably seen Box down there doing his sketches. Amazing. We had an art exhibition at the last scene. We got this, see that beautiful one at the top of um, Our Lady Joseph. I've forgotten who's on the left now, but young artist, she's about 23, 24, and, and painted that. She's studying fine arts. And just some extraordinary um, work being done and really trying to engage with the arts. And, you know, the arts and Christianity were so close. And, in fact, some of the most significant artworks that were created, in fact, most of them that were created in the, in the, the, the beginning times of art... When, when art was at its like kind of its flowering point, it was all Christian. And it all came from a Christian theme and from the, the understandings and tradition of the church. And now there's this disconnect. So in the new evangelization, we've got to try and bring that back together. And we've got to encourage our artists to engage in art with their faith so that we can start to recapture and reclaim beauty and, and show that to people. Very important part of the evangelization. Something that we do here in Sydney, I don't know, I've never, I don't know of other places that have done this, but Vocations Expo. So you can do expos of any kind that can get out there too. 
it's extraordinary um, what the expo does and how it works. And you know, the interesting thing is because this is the third year, how people in the street are really getting into it. Trevor, my assistant, you know, who gave his testimony the other day, he walked into a shop nearby and he wanted to buy some matches for the icon sessions tonight. And the guy said, oh, are you with those guys down the street? And he said, yeah, he says, oh, you know, take the matches. You guys are great. He gave them the matches. Wouldn't let him pay for them, you know? Because he was saying, so, you know, because he, he said, the great music down there. It's so great to see all the nuns and the brothers in their habits and stuff. And that's one of the shopkeepers nearby. So, you know, it's really having an impact. Of course, the new evangelization clearly engages and must engage in new media. Uh, this is our new website at the top for Credo. Visit it. <laughs> you must visit if you haven't already. We're, we're still a work in progress, but there's some, some cool stuff there. Um, Credio is here with us. They've been doing a lot of recording of a, a lot of our um, workshops and other things. Uh, that's another way of where, where you can go radio online, download, listen right there live to a lot of great Catholic content. These are things that have got to be done. Even with our missions, you can see there with our missions how we, um, we engage designers. When we produce stuff that we want to have an impact on people in the street and the ordinary person, it needs to be good. It needs to really grab them. So these are just some of the things we've done. This was for a youth event, the one up there, like the Superman Sacred Heart. And this one is, I just think it's beautiful, Come Home for Christmas, that lovely welcoming design in the, in the O. You know, everything coming towards the star and pointing to Christ. It's just lovely. So all these different ways that we need to con constantly be engaging through the new media, every way we possibly can. I'm not gonna go into it a lot, but there are just so many things. and. You know, there's print media, there's TV, there's the Catholics Come Home, huge thing that's been in the US. It's done amazing work over there. If you don't know what I'm talking about, about Google, Catholics Come Home. Look at their amazing ads, look at what they've done. When they've run these, these ad programs in diocese, they've had incredible returns to the church. People coming out of the woodwork, coming back to the church. Clearly part of the new evangelization. Websites, Cradio, the Shalom Catholic community I was telling you about in Brazil, four radio stations. Zenit, one of the, the hugest um, online uh, news services for the Vatican because of uh, starting from a new movement who wanted to be able to bring that stuff out there. We've got to keep doing that, you know, so that's very much a part of the new evangelization. Okay, but I think what I've been mostly talking about up till now is describing the characteristics and sort of talking mostly about the methods and the means of expression. But the one thing that we haven't really touched on is this very important word down the bottom here, which is ardour. Remember when, the, when Pope John Paul II first talked about the new evangelization, he talked about new in its methods, new in means of expression, and new in its ardour. And a lot of the time, when we try to understand what something is, we do tend to look at what we can see and what it does. You know, so it does this, it does that. You know, that's how we measure a lot of things. It's the way we've been made and we've been influenced in our culture today. But I think what really defines the new evangelization is its ardor and, and where it's coming from in the hearts of each of us. So I just want to make a few comments about that. And I think the secret starts way back in Vatican II when we were told that everyone is called to holiness. That's what I think that is being hinted at here. And I guess I want to ask the question, can we manufacture ardour? 
Can we make Arda happen? Can we, you know, become zealous just because we push ourselves? Is that really going to work? No. No. All right, so how do we get or maintain Arda? Because sometimes it's good in the straight after scene, it's been so great for about a week, you're going to have heaps of Arda. But what's going to happen after that week's up? How do we maintain that Arda? What is that? Where does that come from? Remember what we are talking about, how Vatican II was talking about trying to perhaps find faith, give us faith with a new vigour, that universal call to holiness. Then Evangeline Nuntiandi comes along and Pope Paul VI reminds us that the only one who really evangelises is the Holy Spirit. He's the principal agent of evangelisation. Okay, so again, with all these spiritual markers, it's happening. So... Where does it all start? Well, I'd like to give you this handout about holiness. Have a quick read. Perhaps just at the first quote, Okay, while you get it, I'm going to start reading it out. The world despite innumerable, innumerable signs of the denial of God, is nevertheless searching for him in unexpected ways and ex painfully experiencing the need of him. The world is calling for evangelizers to speak to it of a God whom the evangelists themselves should know and be familiar with as if they could see the invisible. It's not just enough to tell them about God. They're looking for evangelizers who can speak of a God who they themselves know and are familiar with, as if they could see the invisible. And then let's read the next one, okay? The world calls for and expects from us simplicity of life, the spirit of prayer, charity towards all especially towards the lowly and poor. Obedience and humility, detachment and self-sacrifice. Without this mark of holiness, our world will have difficulty, our word will have difficulty touching the heart of modern man. It risks being vain and sterile. So, I think that the secret to Arda is holiness. And I think that that is where our beautiful Pope Benedict XVI comes into the picture. He is continuing to speak so much about the new evangelisation. And one of his great focuses when he speaks about the new evangelisation is that it must begin with our encounter with Christ. Not just once, he does talk about that, conversion begins with a personal encounter with Christ, but he also talks about how we must continue to encounter Christ. That only happens if we're praying. It only happens if we're seeking to grow in holiness. Everything that Father David Nugent was talking about today and did a much better job than I would ever be able to speak about now. Okay? So, I just want to continue on here. Here's Pope Benedict. Pope Benedict 
has really focused on the person of Christ in his pontificate so far. He's written two books, two parts of the series on Jesus of Nazareth. Why so much time writing about Jesus? Someone asked him that question. He said, because I want people to know Jesus. That's a paraphrase. He wants them to know Jesus. So it all starts there. Now what else has Pope Benedict XVI done for the cause of new evangelization? He's created a council, a new pontificate, pontifical council. And he's having a synod that's going to be held next year. No, sorry, this year, late this year, October, not too far away now, on the new evangelization for the transmission of the faith. But all throughout the lineamenta, which is the document that has been prepared as the framework document for what they're going to do, what they're going to reflect on in the synod on the new evangelization, you see again and again this focus on Christ, on this personal encounter with Christ. Uh, and if you can turn over your handout now, I've got some things on the next page about this lineamenta. And uh, there's quite a bit there, but just while we're on this, I'd like you to go down to the fourth paragraph. It emphasises the personal encounter with Christ. It says here, Transmitting the faith means to create in every place and time the conditions for this personal encounter of individuals with Jesus Christ. I think in a way that almost sums up the new evangelization. You know? Everything we're doing is to be able to create the right conditions so that a person can encounter Christ. That's what this is all about. But it all comes, first of all, from our frame of mind. So I like that at the top there. Can you see in, in paragraph 6 from the, new, from the lineamenta, the new evangelization is a frame of mind. I like that. It hasn't gone into a lot of detail about what it is, but it's a frame of mind. And it goes on to say, it requires us to examine the culture of the day and its challenges with realism, but also with hope. So we're not delusional. We're not thinking we're going to be able to go out and convert everyone tomorrow. It's going to be a hard slog. But we have hope because we're on the winning team, as Robert Falzon said. We have Christ with us. The new evangelization requires discernment, self-examination. And I love this. Proclamation first requires moments of listening, understanding and interpretation. How are we going to do that? How are we going to listen, understand and interpret? Where would that begin? Hmm? In our personal encounter with Christ. In our daily prayer. So it's clearly coming through here and I'm not going to go through all of it but what I can tell you... <coughs> is what I believe that is the most important thing to understand about the new evangelization is what really makes it happen. And that is our own pursuit of our holiness. I've got this great quote somewhere. Where is it? Oh, I think it was on this one. Pope John Paul II said in Redemptress Missio, the true missionary is the saint. And you think about it, we've got so many stories of saints who 
just by who so many people converted just by being around them. What about the story we heard this morning from Father David Nugent? Pope John Paul II just drove past and he was converted on the spot. I'd love for my job to be that easy. Imagine if I could just ride around the town in my car knowing that as I did it, people were going to be converted everywhere. Maybe if I was holy enough, it could happen. So what I'm trying to say, okay, I'm sort of taking it to the nth degree here, but what I'm trying to say is that the absolute bottom line, I think the most important characteristic of the new evangelization is the growth in faith of the people of the church. Where there are people living a radical life for Christ, where there are people who have chosen to give him their everything, whether it's in their ordinary job and their ordinary life or in their religious life, there you will see the fruit of the new evangelization. And you will know it because you will see the fruit. It might be only small, but you will see the fruit and you will judge it by its fruit. So I think this is the, a very important uh, emphasis that Pope Benedict XVI is bringing to us. And I think it's probably the greatest key to understand the new evangelization. The new evangelization is creative. The new evangelization will keep showing us new ways of bringing the basic gospel message that doesn't change to people as long as we are plugged in to the Holy Spirit because it's his show, it's his gig. And we have to be plugged in. And we can only do that by seeking to become truly holy. Okay? Um, I think I might leave it there. I don't think I can do much more than that. Um, does anyone have any questions? Thoughts? That was a lot of information, wasn't it? <laughs> Sorry, guys. But it's very hard. Like I said, understanding the new evangelization isn't, a, um, isn't an easy thing. I can't say to you in two words, that's what it is. It's more like you'll know it when you see it, kind of. But there's some clear things that are definitely a part of it, definitely pointing to it. And I think that's, I hope, is what I've given you a bit of an understanding of. That's what I do in my job. Um, because, you know, I'm the director of the evangelisation office here in Sydney and I by no means feel that I am qualified for this role. And I, in fact, I don't know that anyone would be. You know, OK, so we want you to be in charge of the agency that's in charge of apparently or is supposed to be in, looking after evangelisation for the whole of the Archdiocese of Sydney. That's ridiculous, isn't it? You know? But... Uh, it's not up to me, it's up to the Holy Spirit and I know I can only do so much with what I've got there to bring to bear and I do my best. And what the most important thing for me to do is to be looking and seeing where is the new evangelisation happening? Where is the Holy Spirit moving? Where can I see that God is doing something and how can I get these people, all, let's all work together, let's all learn from each other, let's all continue to build this fruit. That's what it seems about. We bring all these people together and we say, hey, look, this is what it is. All the stuff you're seeing all around you, this is the new evangelization. You know? Um, I, I tell you, for example, Artes Christi that we had on Wednesday night with the Artists for Life. You know, on the outside, they're just a bunch of people. They're all, a lot of them are Catholic, not all of them. 
And they're putting on musicals and plays. Okay, some of the plays and musicals are clearly Catholic or Christian in their content, but some of them aren't. They're doing Fiddler on the Roof <laughs> next. And yet, what made me start to realise that more was going on there than just a bunch of people who like to do plays and musicals was when I started to hear the stories of conversions like young Emma, who we heard on Wednesday night. So something's happening there. That's the new evangelisation. People are coming in, getting involved, and then they're encountering Christ. You know, that's the new evangelisation. So when I'm looking around, that's what I'm looking for, and I'm keep, you know, and that's that's I think that's the best measure. Radio.org.au